Detroit Beard Collective is a proud sponsor of Creaking Door Paranormal Radio, powered by SlackJohnPunks.com. Guys, tired of trying to make that burly beard of yours look and smell good? Then check this out. Straight out of the Motor City, where they know a thing or two about being tough, comes Detroit Beard Collective, specializing in making that facial hair look good with products like beard butter, beard oils and soaps, specialty combs, and so much more. Come check out the line today at Detroit beardcollective.com dbc takes pride in using detroit and michigan-based companies and ingredients in all aspects of their product development and manufacturing as they continue to build detroit's premier grooming company even burly dudes like to look and smell good and dbc will make that happen do yourself and your badass beard a favor and log on to detroitbeardcollective.com and check out all the amazing products they offer and when you're ready to check out use promo code s JPDBC to receive 10% off Detroit Beard Collective. Cleaning this world up one beard at a time. Welcome back inside Creaking Door Paranormal Radio with Tim Ellis and Brad Blair. Excited to be back in the studios for another episode as we continue to uh, paddle our way through uh, the crap that is COVID-19, Brad. <laughs> Indeed. Wow. And, and we want to thank all you listeners. We know a lot of you have reached out and wondered you know, when we had another episode coming mm-hmm. out. And it's just been so damn hard to plan anything with all of this going on. That's true. You know, the new regulations, things that, uh, you know, we're dealing with on a daily basis. So. Very glad we could uh, get some time and get back in the studio for a new episode. For sure. I mean, everything's just kind of upside down right now. Even our new book, we're a couple yeah. months getting coming up on a couple months behind on that. And that's still going through some editing. And, and you know, it's just the way the resources are right now are so strange. And so everything's dragging at a snail's pace. Yes. Yeah. And, and we kind of expect that to continue, unfortunately, for the near future. Yeah, exactly. And with that being said, uh, since our last show, we've... Uh, we did have to make the very tough announcement. Uh, was not easy for any of us involved to have to uh, say that we were postponing, postponing this year's yeah Michigan Paranormal Convention. Yep, yeah, and that was. That was tough. Um, and the closer it gets, uh, the closer that weekend gets here, I know it's going to hit a lot of people. It will. Yeah. It, it will. We, we've got such a great base of attendees. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, you know, you, you and I have both talked many, many times off air uh, about how we're kind of in, in awe over how, how much people have taken this event to heart and yeah. how, how it's become part of their regular yearly routine. Yep. You know, so many look forward to it. And, yeah, unfortunately, we just we, we sat down and 
thank the people at Kuwait and Casino, our, our home venue, because they were so willing to go the extra mile they and were. work with us and do whatever was necessary. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it wouldn't have been Michigan Paracon. Nope. You know, no. Not no, with the regulations. No. Yeah. There, there's no way. They, they were very good about trying to work with social distancing. Uh, they, they were ready to have people handing out masks at the door, check temperatures. But, you know, a, a, an event that has become so close to so many and is so hands on, I mm-hmm. guess, for for one word and all the workshops, the galleries, it just wouldn't have been right to put on a half ass show. Yep, exactly. So. We, we were all in agreement with that, that yep. uh, if we ran it as it's supposed to be, that would have been uh, that just wouldn't have not been the smart move. No, nope. legally, we probably at this point couldn't anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we did not want to put on an event that we did not believe would be what MI Paracon has become. Uh, on the brighter side, on the other side of all of this, it is already scheduled for the end of yep. August. It's been postponed to 2021. Same lineup we had out there. And, you know, the way we go, we, we'll end up adding more. There, oh, was, sure. there was no room for anybody else <laughs> as it was going in. We were overbooked. We were tight. But by God, I'm... We'll find a way. I, I'm pretty certain <laughs> you're going to see more names added and more uh, more side events, too. So stay tuned to the MI Paracon yeah. Facebook and Twitter accounts as well is right here at Creaking Door. We'll keep you up to date. You bet. 11th Annual uh, Michigan Paranormal Convention pushed to 2021, but uh, I do believe because we all had to take a year off, it's going to be just that much bigger of a party. Huge. Yes, <laughs> for sure. And again, as far as our, our new book is concerned, which is basically Legends of the Great Lakes area, um, still coming. Uh, yeah. And uh, that'll be uh, out shortly, we believe. So good news there. All right. So at that time, though, first of all, it's great to be back in the studio. Thank you to everyone who is uh, joining us. And now time to do what we like to call Paranews, where we find a couple stories that intrigue us and uh, that are kind of weird and strange. So let's start off with uh, Google Earth. So every now and then stories come up about Google Earth. I mean, there's been topless women that have been sh- that have been captured on Google Earth. Let me pull that up just a <laughs> second. <laughs> I, I, I believe I read a story once where a wife found her cheating husband on a photo that was snapped on Google Earth. And then every now and then you find something uh, that has to do with ghosts or strange images. And it happened again. And he calls himself an anomaly hunter. Uh, not a paranormal hunter. Okay. Not a Bigfoot hunter. But he, he looks their for, own. Yep. He, he, he goes online and looks for like, you know, NASA's cameras and Google Earth and looks for strange things. And he found one on Google Earth images. Um... And it's basically, he believes he sees, some say it's a ghost, some say it's an alien roaming the halls of Argentina's president's mansion. The very weird find was made by uh, the researcher Scott Waring, is his name, as he was looking at the mapping services street level and interior photos of the palatial estate known as Casa Rosada, where the leader of Argentina resides. Much to his surprise, his virtual exploration of the site took a strange turn when he stumbled upon an image which seems to show an entity of some kind. Now, based on doorknobs within the hallway that you can see, they say the figure creepily stands about three feet tall. Now, he believes he found a alien that is in fact cloaked and spying on the Argentinian president. So hmm. well. I th- it looks creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's an alien spying or not. I don't know what they captured or it was just some type of anomaly on the film, but uh, it's... Uh, I like these stories. I like when 
something shows up that that you're not expecting, that mm-hmm. people aren't out on an investigation of some sorts and, and bring it in where it's just happens to be there and right place, right time. Yeah, kind of uh, this kind of goes along the lines of the last uh, interview we did inside the creaking door with Aaron Sagers. He's part of Paranormal Con on Camera now. Right. And uh, th- these type of stories kind of fall right in line with that. I like that show. Me too. I like Me that too. show. So, yeah, so there you go. There's apparently a cloaked alien spying on the Argentinian president right now, and Google Earth found it. Who knew? Kudos to Google Earth. <laughs> That's right. Did you get into the Tiger King? I still haven't watched it. You still haven't, man. No. It's it's such a train wreck. I'm it, afraid it to is... waste that much time on it. Oh, dude. Dude, it's an investment of time. That's what I hear. People say you will not be disappointed, but I haven't gone there yet. Well, I tell you what. It's, it's probably the most obnoxious show I've ever seen. <laughs> it's whatever. And, and you think, how could you take it up to the next level? Well, throw Zach Baggins and the boys. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> the Greater Winwood Exotic Animal Park, the zoo made famous in the Tiger King documentary series on Netflix, was searched by police on Friday. Authorities in Oklahoma believe there were human remains buried on the property after the Travel Channel's Ghost Adventures team (laughs) brought in trained cadaver dogs as part of their production and a scent was picked up. The show was initially at the zoo to shoot an upcoming episode of Ghost Adventures. The cadaver dogs were brought in as part of the team's ghost investigation and did pick up a scent, which is currently being investigated further, a spokesperson for Travel Channel stated. Jeff Lowe, he's uh, another one of these interesting characters in the documentary that came in. Uh, <laughs> you, 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 yeah. <laughs> Je- Jeff, who currently owns the GW Zoo, says that the dogs hit on a small L alligator pond that is no longer in use oh that's when the oklahoma state bureau of investigation and the garvin county sheriff's deputies responded after hours of searching sheriff jim mullet said no evidence of human remains was found during their search they did find a small animal with no tail buried in the pit interesting very interesting might be the most legit investigation they've ever done. (laughs) Uh, And there's that. Yes, exactly. So, uh, Ghost Adventures teaming up with Tiger King. Yeah. All right. Doesn't get much better than that. No. All right, here's my my second story, my last story. You know, we always say that our oceans, uh, there's most of our oceans we still have not been able to explore. Right. You know, we have no idea what's going to be found down there. Well, as they continue to try to fully map the ocean floors, a marine creature that resembles the alien E.T. from the movie has been found growing in a prehistoric area of the eastern Pacific seafloor rock. Love it. The E.T. sponge, as they're calling it, has been classified (laughs) as a new species and genus. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration said as it announced the discovery. The creature was found in uh, what they're calling an extraordinary seascape 2.4 kilometers down where strange-looking creatures appear to be growing from the rocky seafloor, Noah says. The Forest of the Weird is what they're calling it. Nearly 1,300 kilometers southwest of Hawaii included an alien-like community of glass sponges that appeared to look back at the deep-sea explorers with these pink faces and big eyes, Noah reported. The first reported sighting of the glass sponge was in 2016, and credit for the find is going to scientist Christiana Castella Branco, a postdoctoral researcher who analyzed a specimen skeleton and realized it was an unknown to science. Now they put the two, her finding in 2016 of finding a dead version of this seascape alien and now this uh mapping of the seafloor has found where they actually reside so very 
Very cool. Um, the fact that, you know, we still don't know what's down there. Now they're finding in prehistoric areas that probably haven't been touched since those days, um, these type of living sponges that have these big faces, almost like aliens. Not exactly the Loch Ness Monster, but very nope. cool nonetheless. <laughs> exactly. It just it just realized, you know, it, all what it does is it solidifies the fact that there is life in these oceans that we still don't know about. Exactly. And we never know. Exactly. Yeah. Here's something, a side effect of this whole darn corona thing that's, that's affecting us. I know something very near and dear to both you and my hearts, trick-or-treating oh, and Halloween. Yes. So just think the candy companies, what what they must be going through trying to plan for this Worried, year. Worried, yeah. Yeah, so furnishing the treats for Halloween can be tricky, even at the best of times. It's even trickier during the pandemic, says the head of U.S. sales for Mars Wrigley. The company starts planning for Halloween about two years out. Oh, my. Yeah, but it was impossible to plan for the disruptions of the pandemic. Uh, the president of uh, sales... Tim LaBelle says he also holds the title of Chief Halloween Officer. <laughs> I never knew that position was out there. I never. If I did, I probably would apply Man. at some point. LaBelle said that Mars retail partners vary by market in their sense of how normal this Halloween will be. Mm. One of the biggest questions, of course, is whether trick-or-treating and Halloween parties will take place as usual. Alternatives include trunk-or-treating in which a group of parents park on one spot and mm -hmm. make candy available out of their sometimes decorated car trunks. LaBelle said some of the alternatives that Mars is eyeing for this year include a virtual Halloween hub with online trick-or-treating and games. Mars plans to bring back Skittle zombies and Halloween <laughs> packaging for M&Ms and other products. So, yeah, I mean, our, that's... My son uh, just kind of aged out. He'll be just about 14 by then. So he's just about out of that Halloween trick-or-treating age anyway. Yeah. So it's not something that, that overly, I guess, concerns me or affects me directly. But, man, you think of all the kids. Would you send your kids house-to-house mm -hmm. -house in the middle of a pandemic? Right. And how many people are even going to give out candy? That's just it. You know, I mean, how many kids are going to—or how many homes are going to want— Hundreds of kids marching up to their house right now. Exactly. Yeah. So, so it, you know, I hadn't even. times. It is. And I hadn't even thought of the effect on Halloween until now. And, uh, oh, boy. Yeah. What a time we live in. <laughs> Historical times for sure. So say, hope, hopefully by next year we're uh, back to normal and there's uh, some semblance of normalcy. And get yeah. that get that vaccine moving and out there and yep. get back to kicking it old school. You bet. <laughs> but until then, we can continue to uh, to be normal, at least here in our studios, and bring you Creaking Door Paranormal Radio. So that's what we love doing. And that's what we're going to do next. We're going to take our first break. When we come back, welcoming a, another first-timer into the Creaking Door, Brad. Yes, and uh, getting back into the, uh, the UFO topic, something we haven't hit on in quite a while here. Yeah, very excited about this. We welcome our next guest in. Coming up next on Creaking Door Paranormal Radio, powered by SlackjawPunks.com.
think of Michigan's Upper Peninsula as the scary attic sitting there above the rest of the state, I can think of no better guides to take you inside the history and lore than the guys of the Upper Peninsula Paranormal Research Society. Those are the words from writer and lead researcher for the hit TV show Ghost Adventures, Jeff Belanger. For over 20 years, the Upper Peninsula Paranormal Research Society has dedicated their lives to researching the paranormal. And now, some of their favorite cases are brought to life on the pages of their debut book, Supernatural Haunts. Come inside these pages with the team as they share intimately the history of each location and their experiences during their investigation. Learn their techniques and some of the most intense moments they have faced. True stories and true accounts of ghosts await you inside the pages of Supernatural Haunts by the Upper Peninsula Paranormal Research Society. Get your autographed copy today at www.upernaturalhaunts.com. Welcome back inside Creaking Door Paranormal Radio. Tim Ellis and Brad Blair with you. As uh, very excited about this next guest, Brad. First of all, he is a first time joining us inside the Creaking Door, and yes. uh, that can always be fun for new timers not knowing yeah. what to expect. And, and it's always nice to, to swap topics out. I know it we is. we talk a lot of ghosts, we talk a lot of paranormal and and different, and we try and and, and bring anything in the the realm of the weird. Mm-hmm into our show and we haven't done much with ufos in a while so i'm really looking forward to this yeah and this is a gentleman we've actually talked about bringing on the show for quite a while now we first i think uh, got to see bill in chicago when we were down there for the chicago God, many years ago. many many years for the ghosts and haunting re- uh that Ursula Bielski put on down there. Yeah. And that's our first kind of uh, introduction to Bill, and we've been talking about wanting to get him on the show, bring him up to MI Paracon. Mm-hmm. He was scheduled to be at Paracon with us this year, and then, of course, we had to cancel, <laughs> Post- but he'll be with us. things for the year. Yeah, so. 2021. So let's do it. Uh, officially yeah. welcoming in Bill Konkoleski. He is the state director of the Michigan chapter of MUFON. Bill, welcome inside Creeping Door Paranormal Radio. Thank you for being with us. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we've gotten to know you a little bit bill especially myself because i was able to sit down with you uh, a couple months ago in research for the new book that brad and i have coming out about legends of the great lakes area so you know i've gotten to hear some of your stories and and man I, you know i've said it before and i'll say it again you you have a passion for this subject matter it's something you can tell that is very near and dear to your heart so where did that all start where did your journey in to ufo start for yourself well um depending on uh um where one wants to start i often say that the ufo topic was interested in me before i was interested in <laughs> right. it i saw a lot of things um growing up that i, I couldn't uh, <clears throat> make sense of and the one um that i will often point to because it's pretty uh, straightforward is when i was a high school senior me and two buddies uh it was february 89 we were parked in his chevette waiting outside the another friend house yes great car <laughs> <laughs> great car <laughs> in the 80s yes <laughs> so we were parked outside uh this girl's house waiting for her to get off work and um uh, while we were sitting there, this uh, blue ball of light at the height of, I'd say, about two telephone poles it was sort of like football-shaped, um, sort of 
spiraled over the car. It was like it flew over the car as as you would imagine a football would appear in flight, but it was just made of this solid blue light. So arced over the in uh, the car, and when we lost sight of it off to our right, then this white ball of light came and ping pong just zigzagged all over the sky, just just wildly erratically bouncing in all these directions and then uh, covering the whole of the sky very quickly. And then that disappeared, and then this red ball of light appeared in the center of the sky and grew to about the size of a full moon and then shrank again and then disappeared. And we're sitting there, um, you know, we all three saw it, and we're all like, you know, what do we do with this? And one of my friends says, hey, you know, maybe we should tell the police. We're like we're high school seniors, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. Right. And then, and then, so the uh, my other friend says, "Well, why don't we maybe tell uh, Selfridge Air National Guard Base, which isn't too far from where I grew up in Sterling Heights?" And the, you know, I'm like, "Well, if we're not going to tell the police, are you actually going to call a military base, right? <laughs> and and yep. tell them about this? You know, we're just little squirt, seventeen, eighteen year olds, <laughs> you know." And so, I didn't know who to tell. And several years later, on a trip out to Chicago, I visited the Center for UFO Studies, which is J. Allen Hynek, um, his grassroots UFO organization that he had set up, which was based out of the Chicago area. And when I visited the place, uh, Dr. Mark Rodiger, um, the director of the, of the organization at the time, since Hynek had long passed, he said, uh, you know, how come you didn't tell your Michigan MUFON chapter? And I'm like, MUFON, what's that? And so he gave me the, the phone number to Shirley Coyne, the then the state director. This is actually in 93 at this point. And so I called her and told her about it, told her some other weird stuff I'd seen and was impressed and got on board. And you know, 27 years later, I, I'm still here. So you literally, your first introduction to MUFON was also your door opening to becoming a member then, it sounds like. They were very very close together yeah yeah i was really impressed and uh you know i'm like wow i actually have somebody to talk about this with and and the great thing about sharing it with somebody at mufon is i've been telling people this story for years in fact one little part of the story i left out is the following day i went to work only to find out another coworker, a coworker of mine had seen it so that was that was additional verification yeah more but, va- validation for sure mm-hmm. All, all through the years, I would tell people, this is what I saw, and they would be like, oh, that's interesting, uh-huh. But, you know, <laughs> when I found a group that actually investigated it, and I talked, I'm like, wow, she really grocks what I'm saying. Uh, you know, this is, you know, this is my people here. So I, I got to I gotta see what this MUFON thing is all about. And, yeah, I've been around ever since. For the last 16 years now, I've been the state director, which is, I'm pretty sure three times longer than anybody else has done it in, in this state. And, um, you know, I have no plans of hanging it up anytime soon. There's never a dull moment. Well, there's, it, it seems to it seems to be something that's really the, the whole field of ufology seems to have evolved quite a bit. And I'm, I'm even looking back to the 80s. Tim and I were in high school back at the time, too. And it seemed like any time there was a report back then, you know, in the 80s, even into the 90s, if it made it into the media, it was always paraphrased with little green men or some type of a joke. So it wasn't really mm-hmm. taken seriously. Uh, mm-hmm. It seems nowadays the media is really paying a little bit more attention to this. There, there seem to be a little more 
Uh, I, and I don't know if it's just because so much of this now is caught on video versus back then, unless you had a big clunky VHS camera, right. you probably weren't picking anything up. But with the age of cell phones and, you know, it's just so much easier to collect, I don't want to call it data, but observations. And do, do you feel that it, this is being taken more seriously by the mainstream media and by mainstream science now versus back when you started up? Well, it's, yeah, it's an interesting new uh, environment in which we live. Um, first of all, you're right. We are seeing a lot more videos, a lot better videos. Or, you know, there's a handful of hoaxes, but usually the hoaxes bypass MUFON altogether, and they just go straight to post on YouTube or Facebook. So um, we don't have to worry a lot about trying to process those just sort of after the fact if we see these um hoaxes out on the internet we can put in our two cents saying this is why this is not real um, but uh, going back to the bigger part of your question which is um, having the topic taken more seriously now I, I definitely think so uh, you know when <clears throat> growing up you don't hear about it in school at all it's not mentioned in our education system it's not mentioned in uh, the, the religious institutions that we're raised in. And, it, it, and in the media, while we were growing up, uh, it was always treated, yeah, tongue-in-cheek. Mm -hmm. So every, the only place you would get this type of information is, is from essentially books, um, fringe mm -hmm. books. Yep. And, uh, and the, the, the spectrum it was as wild back then as it is now. Some of them it seemed like good hard science, and other ones, um, yeah, just sort of strange ramblings. But uh, the one thing I think has really opened the door is the internet. Um, mm -hmm. You can find any sort of information you want that was difficult to find. Uh, growing up, if you are honed in on this subject or any subject, you know, you have your links that you go to and you get your um, information on whatever topic. So I, I think that it, it can't be the, the topic can't be contained anymore. There have always been phenomenal cases and now they're out there. Um, people uh, that w didn't have any exposure to them before because they got all their information from um, the local broadcast, ABC, CBS, NBC News, whatever, or whatever uh, big local newspaper. You know, they, you know, the options now are limitless on how to get information. And, and I think one of the things that the Internet has shown is there's a tremendous popularity in this per particular topic. It's huge. The, the UFO phenomena is huge. I remember that the story on the um, UFO that showed up at O'Hare Airport uh, several years ago, right. I believe it's still the number one search story um, for the Chicago Tribune. I think that was the huh. paper that carried that story. It's still their number one story. Wow. And, and, and so people are very hungry for this information. And if you're going to provide this information, and then dismiss it, I, I think they understand that people are looking for good, solid information that could provide some validity. And, it, and if you, you know, with a small handful of cases, you really don't have to go very far to, to get that sense like, yeah, this is real. Right. And mm -hmm. what the, 
what the late Stanton Friedman um, often said was, you know, uh, MUFON gets you know thousands and thousands of cases in every year, and only one of them needs to be true, only yeah. one of them, yeah. and then there you go. Then the phenomena is real. Well, I would think with the current technology and as as you alluded to, the internet and getting all of this information out there now, that that have to be make it that much more difficult for something along the lines of a government cover-up, which I know comes up a lot in ufology. Is this something that the government's trying to hide? Is this, you know, I I would think that would make it that much harder now because people do have free reign over all of this info and just to get it out there. Um, You know, the the whole government conspiracy thing, it's got to make that uh, almost shoots that to hell nowadays, I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and even uh, on the, the face-to-face level, I can't tell you how many libraries I've spoken at where the librarian said afterwards that they had no idea this topic was so popular and that that presentation that night broke their attendance records. Wow. You know, the, I've broken attendance <laughs> records at so many libraries, and I know it's not me because, you know, they haven't heard of me. Most of them haven't heard of MUFON. They're just here, there to hear about UFOs. Mm-hmm. It's just something people are deeply interested in. Yeah, very much. And, you know, Bill, let's actually go back a few more years because you said your introduction to MUFON started in high school. But anyone who has ever read your book, Experiencer, knows that your experience with possible alien life form goes much earlier than that in your life. Yeah, um, not sure which direction you wanted to go with the interview today. But, yeah, I'm, I'm all too happy to, to talk about some of the me stuff Um yeah, absolutely fascinated with your journey there. That that book, Experiencer, the, the title alone uh, has a meaning behind it. Yeah, uh, I have had close contact um, several times uh, through the years with these beings. I have really no idea where they're from or what their ultimate purpose is, but they're, for the most part, these little gray guys with these big black eyes. Um, The term for people having contact uh, through the last few decades was abductee, Mm -hmm. and it was the abduction phenomenon. Right. But it has such a a victim-charged sense to it, that that, that word abduction and abductee, Mm -hmm. that the term experiencer has, has sort of taken um, over as the, the term for those who have contact with these types of beings. My very first memory in life from age two was laying in the crib. I was completely awake, hadn't gone to sleep yet, and uh, the lights were out. Um, and this little gray guy comes in and looks at me. I start screaming for my parents, and they're, they just yell at me to go to sleep. And they don't get up or come in the room or anything. And so I stopped screaming, and this thing just sort of looked down at me, regarded me for a moment, and then left the room. I had an experience where I was four, um, where they came in broad daylight. It was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and they, they wanted to play with me. And uh, I, yeah, I, I could go into deeper detail on a lot of these things, but just sort of giving a, a broad overview when I was seven. Mm-hmm. They took me on board some sort of craft and cut my arm. I still have the scar. I had experiences at 9, at 10, many through my teens and my 20s. I just finished my second book, which is 
just about the first half of my 20s alone. There's so much weird stuff that wow. happened then that um, the book's essentially complete, and I was uh, ready to roll it out in time for the fall conference season, but, well... Um, you know, this gives me a little more time right. to, to polish the book, I guess. A little more editing, maybe. Exactly. So, Bill, it seems like then, you know, for someone who may have experienced, and, and as you had alluded to, abductee is a very, um, you know, almost a negative connotation to it. But you seem to have really embraced it, where some people, you hear stories of they try to block it from their psyche, that it never happened. They got to go under hypnosis, uh, recession to find it. But you really seem to have embraced it and, and want to know know more about what's going on sure i feel so bad for anybody whose first experience is when they're an adult where they've grown up being conditioned that this phenomena isn't real that people who see these types of things are crazy and then it happens to them for me it was with me my whole life mm -hmm. i really didn't have a context to put it into until whitley streber's book uh, came out I know Bud Hopkins, other people, certainly there was material out there that I wasn't exposed to, but that was the first one where I read the book and say, wow, you know, I pretty much, I was like, yep, that happened to me, check, yep, that happened to me, check, mm -hmm. yep, that happened to me, check, wow. So I, I think that the fact that it's been with me my whole life, I wouldn't know me without this phenomena being part of it. Sure. And my ability to... Um, let it out to be able to tell it to people is is a huge deal so many people just sit on it they try to quarantine it inside their mind saying this couldn't have possibly happened um, even though i remember it uh, vividly even though somebody else remembers it possibly if they weren't alone when it happened and it really can eat away at a person but you know my sort of self-therapy is to just let it out <laughs> And um, so it, it can be traumatic. It can be wondrous. It's really beyond the day-to-day -day experience in, in ways no words can explain. But, um, yeah, and, and there, it all happens not on your terms, but on the terms of these sure. beings. So you always have to sort of gird yourself for the next time something strange could happen because, because it will. So do you have, you know, after all these years now, you've been experiencing it from your first memory at two. I mean, obviously you don't have the answers yet. Maybe you do. But do you have a theory as to what's happening, why they've been interested in you for so long? Um, me on a personal level, I, I can't really say that uh, there's anything particularly interesting about me as an individual. I think there's, there's a few different ways people can catch phenomena in general and that includes the, um, the the UFO contact phenomena and I express this to all sort of areas of what people would consider paranormal phenomena sometimes you're born with it and this is the case I think is my situation it ran in my family uh, on my mother's side oh. so um, they there's a lot of weird things that have happened on my mother's side of the family not so much my father's so that's where I got it from. Okay. I also think if you live in a home that's been charged up with repeated paranormal phenomena, that uh, you're, there's a greater likelihood that you'll experience something. Or if you hang around somebody that has a lot of things happen to them, 
it can sort of rub off on that person and they could start to have these experiences too. Uh, some of my friends from, you know, back in the day that hung around me enough, they started to have their own encounters. And um, it, it seemed like whatever was associated with me, whatever energies or whatever sort of homing beacon that I had that attracted these things started to go after my friends. <laughs> to the point so, where did they say, all right, Bill, I don't <laughs> want to hang out anymore? I mean, did you did you lose some friends over it? Uh, uh, I, I lost uh, at least one girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Fair and enough. That's in, my second, that's in my second book. But uh, my... <laughs> My 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 guy friends, uh, yeah, we, yeah, we're we're still we're still good friends. <laughs> good, 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 good. So you you brought up something very interesting, Bill. You you had mentioned almost a correlation into living in an area that could have a lot of paranormal activity, that could maybe be an attraction to this. Do you see a connection between the two fields? Yeah, my theory and it's all speculation because you know even if somebody came out and said that they were scientifically able to prove my my theory on this i, I wouldn't believe them <laughs> um, so this is my own just pure speculation is that i think you know so these beings they could be anywhere from a hundred years in advance of our civilization to thousands maybe even millions there, I mean, there could be we could be being being visited by beings that are a million years ahead of us. Right. Uh, and so, they could theoretically do just about anything. And I, I think where the technology is with a lot of these beings that visit us is that they are in a state of consciousness. They have evolved to a point where they were able to plug out their consciousness and put it into either something by other biological form or um, you know electronic form or some sort of hybrid and after a while they just um, started to see themselves as a form of consciousness and when they want to interact with us on the physical plane where we're at they plug themselves into these sort of little gray puppets and, and then they return and they return to their form of consciousness afterwards. There's there there's a lot of things that I have to back that up in terms of what I see as evidence for that. But some a lot of it is is that they don't always come in a physical form. And if they don't have to find a place to land a UFO, to switch people off, you know, find a way in and out of the house without being seen, you know, all the nine yards of uh, of having to do, you know, some sort of secret clandestine physical activity mm -hmm. you know they're like we just wanted to talk to this guy so let's just pull him out of body and then contact them on a you know that sort of consciousness plane and pop them back in and the source of the sense of connection i think between the ufo phenomena and the contact experience or phenomena is that with these beings being a form of consciousness when they interact with us in that sort of consciousness um, uh, form of just direct communication that way or pull us out of body that sort of a thing they're loosening us they're opening the veil they're they're creating you know an awareness of of the the greater universe beyond the physical and with that people could possibly start to see ghosts or have other sort of paranormal poltergeist phenomena things along those lines because now they're plugged in 
to that 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 sort of extra physical dimension um, that's around us all the time. Mm, love that theory. Yeah, really you, interesting. You, you mentioned how if a house has extra energy, and I know I know you know her, and and she's been a friend of ours for years, Andrea Perrin who was the basis of the Conjuring movies, was her family. She feels that everything that happened between poltergeist activity, apparitions, uh, she doesn't, they, they don't hit on it in the movies at all, but she does talk some in her books. And if you talk to Andrea, you know, she's very outspoken about it, but she had many UFO sightings happen on that property. So it kind of, it's interesting how that does all seem to tie together in different cases. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Have you had a chance to sit down with Andrea at all, Bill, and, and kind of uh, share theories in that way? Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I'm, you know, she's everybody's good friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is Isn't true. that true? That is so true <laughs> of Annie. She's a sweetheart. So, yeah, so, you know, it's really interesting to hear your theory on it. And now that's like, uh, you know, between you and Andrea, that's uh, two people now who have great credibility right. that have that theory, and I love that. So. Yep. Of course, when Andrea goes outside to sing them down, that's yeah. <laughs> that was it, a it's different. it's a nice come by ah moment. I'll give it. <laughs> I'll give her that. <laughs> so, so Bill, are you still? Uh, you know, so here we are. You know, I'm I'm assuming you're around our age, uh, approaching late forties, knocking on the door fifty, maybe somewhere in there. Maybe I'm off, but I think <laughs> yeah. if, if I if I read your bio correctly, I think you're right at our age. Are you still to this day? And it's probably coming out in your second book, which I look forward to uh, getting my hands on. But are you still to this day um, having experiencer episodes? Um, I. Am very regularly now experiencing strange phenomena. Wow, that that is not seemingly directly contact phenomena. Oh, I I haven't had a, a, a sort of a straightforward contact experience, and at this point years. And an interesting thing is is a sort of the class of experiencers that I, I came up with. Other people that we would meet at regularly and and discuss our our, our contact experiences. For everybody, it pretty much dropped off all at the same time. And, huh. but what would, but so the visits haven't stopped. They just, their, their attention is elsewhere um, within my broader family. Oh, gotcha. And so, but for me, for whatever reason, uh, maybe they don't need me for whatever physical reasons that I was good for when I was younger. Perhaps they're just sort of sitting back and watching me run my mouth about the UFO phenomena, <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah," and they're just waiting for a day when there, there's greater disclosure, and they they just want some of the experiencers that they've that they that they've come along uh, and um, been a part of their lives. They're just, I, I think there's a sense of appreciation if they understand what we're doing mm-hmm. and that. Um, for their sake, it's it's helpful for experiencers to get out and tell the story that they're real so that people aren't completely shocked when real disclosure happens. A lot of people believe we're right on the cusp of disclosure from a government level, that the government mm-hmm. at, at some point soon, and by soon I mean maybe the next decade to two decades, is going to come out and say, okay, this this has been happening. We, we see it little by little. I know the Navy had those videos that were put out this past spring, winter, I believe, uh, of some type of unidentified object that they were following. Do, do you think we're getting close to that, Bill? Yeah, I hear stories every once in a while that this big revelation is going to come out of the government or that. 
And the recent flavor of that is that there was, yeah, I had heard from somebody that the New York Times was going to re, um, put out a story about UFO crash retrieval and that this story is imminent. Like, as in, when I say imminent, um, it could be tomorrow, like that imminent. Like, it's, wow. it's, 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 the story is supposed to drop any day now kind of a thing. And this person's been a, a good source of information in the past, and I'm thinking, well, this UFO crash retrieval stuff, that goes way beyond just seeing something in the sky to having something hands-on, something mm -hmm. physical. Tangible. Meaning it's a very physical reality. And when he when he told me this, um, you know, when one thinks about UFO crash retrieval, of course, everybody's mind goes to Roswell, right? right? Yep. So, right after I'd heard that this story was about to drop, um, it was Father's Day, and um, Trump had some interview with his his son interviewed him, and one of the questions his son uh, asked him was, would he tell the the American public what he knows about Roswell? And Trump said, I can't tell anybody. I, I can't even tell you, but it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm like, I'm like, is he trying to get ahead of the story? Mm -hmm. Like, it, you know, I, I, I didn't know about whether or not I trusted this UFO crash retrieval thing to come out until I saw that. I'm like, that is a very interesting coincidence. So mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, maybe not, it won't happen. But if it does, you know, you heard it here first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Breaking story right here. Great. No, I, I saw that headline come out, too, about Trump as well. And uh, it definitely caught my eye and my attention um, for that. So, OK, so you've got a, a, a lifetime I experiences happening since you were two years old. Then in high school, you have that incident over the car that leads you to move on. And here you are in MUFON now. So let's go ahead and talk about exactly the uh, the Michigan chapter of MUFON. What is you know, what what is the the whole mission of MUFON? What are you guys? What's your work out there? Okay, so MUFON's been around for just over 50 years now. It uh, came about in 1969, and it's the world's largest civilian UFO research organization. Uh, there is nothing like MUFON. Um, the National UFO Reporting Center certainly gets a great amount of UFO reports into it, but what makes MUFON um, unique in this is that we actually investigate sightings. Mm -hmm. And we have a team of investigators that cover sightings that come out of every state in the U.S., as, you know, the provinces of Canada. The, you know, uh, we have a, a footprint around the world. It's not in every country. MUFON isn't in every country, but it's in many countries. And, you know, that's what we do. We uh, Somebody reports a UFO sighting either online or by phone and we find a good local investigator to follow up on the story and um, all of our field investigators go through a training process and then they the field investigator then makes investigates the, the sighting and makes a determination of what they think it is or um, whether or not they believe it's anomalous and then it goes into our database and you know we could always identify on, in any given year between 80 to 95 percent um, locally what comes into us and then you know it's the remaining you know percentage of five percent to 15 percent or whatever 
that is is worth hanging on for and you know that's the juicy stuff yeah um, I was watching an interview with you on a talk show downstate uh, in, in Michigan, and you had mentioned something that made me kind of chuckle because it's something we uh, often have on the paranormal side of things where Brad and I and our team have been working for um, since before the, in the late 90s. And it's it, kind of the same basis you do. We go in to try to find the, the, the rational explanation, mm-hmm. and then whatever's left over, that's what we really focus on. But sometimes you got to tell the person, sorry, you don't have a ghost, and then they get kind of upset at you. You know, they wanted yep. that ghost. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, and, yeah. And I know the same's <laughs> yeah. happened with you and you foes, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. The, one time at a, at a library presentation that, that I was at, people had to stand between me and this guy that wanted to punch me in the face. <laughs> uh, wow. He, uh, he, I think he would have done it, too. He was so mad. Um, he... <laughs> so I give the presentation, and then he's like... Uh, He's like, I have some pictures of this uh, this UFO, and, yep. you know, and I'm like, and I'm like, yeah, you, you know, that that's fine. Report it to move on. He's like, no, I got it on this thumb drive. You got a computer there. Let me just pop it in and show everybody. Mm-hmm. And and that's always a bad sign. Yes, I, I've never seen that that pan out to be anything really <laughs> anomalous. And so. And, and so I said, well, just, you know, send it to Bupan. And he's like, he goes, show of hands in here. Who wants to see the oh, UFO wow. pictures? Everybody and, look at me. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, darn it. And so anyway, um, I'm answering a question for somebody else. And he actually sneaks up to the computer. He pops his little oh, thing in. Uh. And, and I'm like, okay, all right. You know, not going to make too big of a scene. Let him do his thing. And so um, if you're familiar with Chinese lanterns, sky mm-hmm. lanterns. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, yep. That's it was, it was textbook Chinese lantern <laughs> and little flickering flames, these little things going through mm-hmm. the sky, and um, and this woman in the front row, she goes, "Those look just like Chinese lanterns." Oh. <laughs> and, and not even me. I didn't say anything yet. <laughs> and he looked at me. He goes, "You don't think they're Chinese lanterns, do you?" And and then and then he goes, you do. Then before I had a chance to say anything, so he goes, fine. If that's how you're going to treat me, and then and he like grabbed the, <laughs> the, the thumbstick and 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 he like stormed out of the room. And I thought, well, that was it. Until I walked out, and he was there, ready to ambush me. Oh my! You made me look like an idiot. Uh, no, he did that on his own, I yeah. think. <laughs> uh, wow, man, oh, man. Yeah, so, it, you know, it, it, that's why I had to chuckle when I was watching that interview with you because, you know, the, the fields uh, definitely have their crossover in, in those aspects. One thing I've always appreciated, though, about the UFO field is the fact that you guys do have a move on. Um, something on, on our side of work that we do in the paranormal, you know, sadly, uh, there's like these turf wars, and it's been going on forever. <laughs> I mean, we can even go back to the days of Ed Lorraine Warren and Hans oh, Holzer. For back in the 20s, Those two Harry, weren't even getting along. Harry Price didn't get along with half Anyone. the other investigators. So, yeah, yeah, so the perpetual para- infighting. Exactly. And so the paranormal side's never been able to come together the way the UFO group has in MUFON. So that's I've always been kind of uh, you know jealous from the sidelines, <laughs> thinking that's pretty cool that you guys have MUFON. Yeah, I, I, I can't actually put my uh, finger on what the magic formula is that there that we are essentially one large cohesive group. Yeah, there aren't you know there aren't hundreds of competing 
UFO groups out there. Mm -hmm. There's really just MUFON. And, and, you know, the Center for UFO Studies, a close ally of MUFON, is still out there doing a thing. We have a fantastic, fantastic relationship with the National UFO Reporting Center. And, yeah, yeah. You know, we just keep plugging along that's really cool we'll keep doing what you guys are doing now bill i know we promised you uh, no longer than a half hour and we're approaching about 35 minutes and i think you may have something to to get to soon so do you have time though if you can condense something into about five minutes to share maybe your favorite michigan ufo story out there when i uh was still at the tail end of being a field investigator right as i was taking the reins of a state director there were still some cases that uh, I was investigating. I don't hands-on investigate a lot now, but this one that sort of closed out that, that phase of my relationship with uh, MUFON w- was really a very interesting one. This gentleman, and um, it was March 2005, I get a call from this gentleman. He's very upset, saying that um, he had encounters he wanted to talk about, and he really didn't want to discuss it over the phone. He invited uh, me over to his house to, to to talk about it with him. And rather than just uh, hand it over to one of our field investigators, I'm like, this guy seems really sincere. He seems really upset. And it would be a good training opportunity to bring some of the new field investigators along. So I brought two field investigators along to his house, which was he was cool with and so heard his story out. So in September, he had waited six months to, to call MUFON. Um, and he wasn't going to tell anybody until he realized he just had to get it off his chest. So um, so he's talking about stuff that happened in late September of 2004, and we're sitting in his house March 2005, which becomes important in a moment. But So his story starts that one Friday night, he lived in Highland Township. Uh, he's driving home at about 10 o'clock, and he's down a thin, uh, a narrow winding road, and there's tall trees on either side. He comes around a bend and suddenly finds himself under a giant triangle in Mm. the sky. And he said it was a giant black triangle, blocked out the stars, and had a big red light in the middle, white lights at the vertices, and it was hovering silently. And he said it was just absolutely huge. I asked him what that meant, and he said it was about the size of a football stadium. And he didn't want to stick around. He just floored it and headed home and um, stayed up quite late because he was very nervous. It really set him into a panic attack. And um, um, over the course of that night, several UFO uh, sightings were made, actually, um, in the southeastern Michigan area. And just uh, to sort of corroborate that, you know, he was seeing things and things were happening that other people were seeing, too. The next day, he um, takes an afternoon nap because he didn't sleep well the previous night, gets up about 3 p.m., looks out his window, his second-story bedroom window, and sees what looks to be a car driving over the top of the trees at the edge of his property. Wow. Said it was black, wedge-shaped, didn't have any wheels, was hovering over the trees, had these little three little red portholes on it, and it was just moving about the size of, uh, of... yeah, it was about the size of a car, moving about the speed of a car over the tops of the trees. And then, so he watched it until he couldn't see it anymore. Um, completely blew his mind, started into a panic again, and then he heads downstairs after he's able to gather himself up 
goes downstairs, walks into his kitchen, looks out into his backyard, and there it is parked in his backyard. Oh, all right, that just gave me the creeps. Oh. And, and and it was quite close to the window, too. And he said, yeah, it was black, wet-shaped again. Um, they had the three red portholes. But the, when I say red, there was a red light coming from inside. Mm-hmm. And he said there was a thick gas, and it looked like, he said, it appeared to be a child or some small-bodied person moving around inside of it. Wow. And he said it was there, parked in his backyard for one hour. And so, you know, all the obvious questions. Um, did you take a picture of it? Right. Like, no, I didn't want it to think I had a weapon, you know. And, mm. and so he goes, who knows what it would have done if he thought my phone was a weapon. I was like, okay, uh, did you call anybody? Mm. And he's like, well, after it was there for a while, I started to wonder if it was actually stuck, like ran out of gas or broke down or, you know, whatever happens uh, when UFOs malfunction. Right. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so and he said, he goes, if it knew that I was trying to call for help or call somebody else, then it, it might have stormed the house. And so I didn't want that to happen. So, you know, I said, so, you know, what did you do? He goes, I sat and watched for an hour. Um, <laughs> he drew a sketch on a napkin, which he showed me. And he said, after an hour, it like levitated up and just flew out through the trees and, and disappeared. And. <clears throat> he was really happy to get it off his chest, uh, get a, you know, the story to us. And we were going to look at his backyard to see where this thing landed. And um, we had our, um, what I like to call our antique radiation detection equipment with us. <laughs> and But, I mean, it's like six months later, there's a ton of snow on the ground in March at that, in 2005. And, you know, we're certainly not going to pick up any signals uh, with our equipment, and we did not. And so I said, you know, hey, you know, we can come back in a couple months when the snow's off the ground and take another look. And he's like, nope. He's like, I just wanted to get it off my chest. He goes, it's yours now. That's how I'm going to think about it is this is your problem now. Oh, man. And just a couple of years later, somebody else reported uh, seeing a very nearly identical craft, too. So somebody that didn't know the first guy. So I, I thought that was an interesting little corroboration, too. Uh, that, that, and that was one of the things because this guy just you could tell his sincerity mm-hmm. uh, just the, how deeply it affected him and I've never heard him come out and tell his story publicly so I, I really do think he just wanted to get it off his chest and be done with it yeah I've always you know in our work that we do too in, in interviewing families and, and witnesses of a paranormal um, event. I've always said I think the best tool in the toolkit is just face-to-face communication. You can tell when someone is mm-hmm. deeply affected by what happened to them. Mm-hmm. And and if you are an investigator long enough, um, and John Tenney often says this as well, is that two people can tell you the exact same story, and if one of them's lying, you'll clearly know the one that's lying. Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yep, completely agree. Uh, well, Bill, thank you so much for taking your time, uh, sharing with us. I know your family's waiting for you, so thank you for spending some time with us. Uh, real quick, though, before we let you go, where can people find, uh, first of all, your new book, uh, or your first book, Experiencer, Raised in Two Worlds, and then the sequel coming out uh, soon, I would imagine? Sure. Um, the book is on Amazon. And I have a personal website which uh, has information about some of the other books I've contributed to and all sorts of stuff about me and whatever's new about my upcoming book. And that is experiencer.me uh, is my personal website. So experiencer.me. 
M-E as in the word me. And then if anybody's interested in the Mutual UFO Network, if you've seen a UFO, um, go to MUFON.com and report it. If you want to investigate UFOs yourself, go to MUFON.com and find out how to do that. Our state website is MI for Michigan, MUFON.org. If you want to find out about our upcoming uh, online or hopefully one day soon in-person meetings. Yeah, I see. Actually, it looks like the meeting you may have just had a couple days ago uh, it was a Zoom meeting. And did Deb and RJ, were they able to make it? It looks like they were going to be your guest speakers. Oh, yeah, they were. Yeah. It's, yeah, they, yeah they're wonderful conversationalists, they very are. familiar with doing online discussion so it was yeah it was a great meeting very good people there so and i noticed i was on your experiencer.me website i didn't realize yet you had some uh input with weird michigan that's a wonderful book too that's fun it is yeah, yeah. so the, the, that that's a book that keeps popping up everywhere it's <laughs> funny I'll, yeah, I'll go to a gas station in some part of the state that i'm rarely in and there will be copies of the book <laughs> it's fun and, it's a great book it is fun read yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, there we go. Bill Konkoleski, he is the state director of the Michigan chapter of MUFON. He's appeared on many TV programs and articles about UFOs. He's an author and a lecturer as well, and we plan on having him here in 2021 for the rescheduled Michigan Paranormal Convention. Bill, thank you so much for your time and coming on inside Creaking Door. Thanks for having me on. All right, there we go. We're going to take Thanks, a break. Bill. When we come back, more on the way with Creaking Door Paranormal Radio, powered by SlackJawPunks.com. Think of Michigan's Upper Peninsula as the scary attic sitting there above the rest of the state. I can think of no better guides to take you inside the history and lore than the guys of the Upper Peninsula Paranormal Research Society. Those are the words from writer and lead researcher for the hit TV show Ghost Adventures, Jeff Belanger. For over 20 years, the Upper Peninsula Paranormal Research Society has dedicated their lives to researching the paranormal. And now, some of their favorite cases are brought to life on the pages of their debut book, Supernatural Haunt. Come inside these pages with the team as they share intimately the history of each location and their experiences during their investigation. Learn their techniques and some of the most intense moments they have faced. True stories and true accounts of ghosts await you inside the pages of Supernatural Haunts by the Upper Peninsula Paranormal Research Society. Get your autographed copy today at www.upernaturalhaunts.com. Welcome back inside Creaking Door Paranormal Radio. Tim Ellis, Brad Blair with you. And once again, want to welcome or thank you, Bill Konkoleski, for coming on in. And uh, we don't do UFOs a whole lot on here, Brad. It's something we very much enjoy talking about. So it's good to have that topic today. It was. It, it, it's nice. It's it's kind of refreshing. We, we do like to mix things up a little bit. You know, I was just thinking the other day, too. It's been a while since we've had a Bigfoot show. Yeah, I, I think agree. we're overdue on that. I think we go cryptid next. I think we do need yes. to dig somebody up from the field of cryptozoology. Yeah. So. 
thanks again bill great uh, great time great interview once mm-hmm. again first time inside the creaking door yes it was uh, he is the state director of the michigan chapter of mufon all right it is now time for what we like to call mailbag this is a chance for uh, listeners to uh, send us any questions anything you want to do you want to pass on some recipes and have us try it and give a food review we'll do that too we don't care we're not picky we just love uh, connecting with our listeners so all you have to do is go to our facebook page creaking door paranormal radio and you'll find us there and you can send us a private message or put it right on the wall and uh, we will choose our favorites per show and this one comes from a listener here in our home state brad this is david m from grand rapids michigan and he said david says hello brad and tim Uh, this is more of an mi paracon question as it is uh, anything to do with ghosts or fun topics that you guys do on creaking door first let me say as sad as i am about the event being canceled this year due to covid i've been there seven out of the ten years and i completely understand why you had to but just know how much all fans of the event will miss seeing you guys and all of the UPPRS team. Well, first of all, we appreciate that, David. Thank you. And we will miss seeing so many people. Uh, he says, but my question is, what are your opinions on what is going to happen with events like yours in the future due to COVID? Boy. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great question. It really is. Um, as we kind of hinted on before, our, our event is uh, the Michigan Paracon will right now be held as it was booked for this year but it's just been postponed to the time slot we had booked for next year so rather than 2020 you can look forward to seeing everybody that's on the schedule Mm -hmm. in 2021 Uh, as far as how events go man it's like so many other things going on right now it we're we're just looking to science and, and business and and just this melding of all these groups working together to try and come up with this vaccine yeah and you know things look good right now we're we're the middle of june i know uh we're in the middle of july now yeah july man what in the (laughs) hell happened exactly we're we're in the middle of july and i know there's at least a couple of companies out there that are coming into phase three trials Mm -hmm. that both say uh, hey possibly by the end of the year they may have a vaccine available so we're keeping our fingers crossed on that as far as the rest of 2020 i i don't really look to see any major events happening Uh, there's no way you could responsibly hold an event the size of michigan paracon without putting people at risk and you know it it wasn't an easy call to cancel the event or postpone the event i guess i should say off a year uh you know we'd, we'd talk to some of the presenters and they weren't real happy about doing an event with everything going on um you know i I had a lengthy conversation with chip coffee who's not flying anywhere now Mm -hmm. very rarely leaving his house and he he just flat out said you know there's so many other people in the field that feel the same way that aren't coming right out and saying it yet but we we did have some that would have backed out um and i as i say i just don't think there's a responsible way to hold an event the size of ours uh with the the way we've always ran it it yeah. would not be michigan paracon no and that's what we what it came down to when we were talking about it and and weighing all the options we did not want to put on a version of mi paracon that was not what we had built up over the last decade we didn't want to do that we didn't want to cheapen it in any way we even no. were approached after the announcement of it being canceled about doing a virtual, uh, a virtual version of it and we said no way no uh, no you know there's there's a market for that mm-hmm. and uh you know, we we took place in the uh the parent 
farm conjuring yep. event that, that was virtual went over very big. I know Greg and Dana Newkirk had put together an event that mm-hmm. was all online that went well, but but that's not our event. Our right. event is very up close in Hands your face. Hands on. Yes, yeah. karaoke, yep. you know, party time after, but right. you, know, you, you want to be able to go up and have time to speak one-on-one with, with your favorite authors, television presenters, you know, the people that we bring in. And under the current circumstances, they would all be masked up. Yep. Uh, you would have had to have been in front of a table, social distancing. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you wouldn't have had that connection. That family feel. Right. Yeah. Right. That, that connection that we've brought between uh, our attendees and the presenters yep. and, and just the people in the field. So, yeah, tough call, but uh, I, I think you're going to see more of that coming from other events, uh, you know, as we question whether or not pro sports are even going to happen this yeah, year. Yeah, that's And in it. what capacity. Yep. Anything where it's large crowds, close together, any type of physical contact sports, um, you know, I don't know that any of that's really going to happen the way it's intended to happen until we do get that vaccine. Now, like you said, Brad, a couple companies have gone into the next phase. It's looking very, very positive. So fingers crossed by 2021, we'll all be back to uh, doing really bad drunk karaoke in the bar (laughs) after uh, the events of MI Paracom. But great question, David. You know, we're all kind of asking the same thing. What does the future look like? And uh, for us who put on an event like that, we just we're watching day by day, month by month, what's coming out and what's happening. And we'll continue to monitor it uh, right through 2021 and yeah, absolutely yeah, i believe we'll be there though by 2021 I uh, really by, by summer 2021 I, I i i'm crossing my heart right now keep my fingers crossed it, it's just it has to happen mm-hmm. uh yeah, it, and hopefully things are back to normal and we have the full version of MI Paracon that people have come to know and love. Yep, absolutely. But until then, be safe out there. Let's all do our part so we can get this dang bug un- under control and get back to all hanging out together the way we like. But until then, we will continue to come to you from the studios of Creaking Door as well, bringing you our favorites in the weird and the strange. So, David, thank you from Grand Rapids for sending that. Again, thank you to Bill Konkoleski, our, our uh, visitor inside the Creaking Door this uh, episode and thank you to all for being out there and listening remember you can hear us on itunes google play stitcher spotify and of course right here on our home platform of slackjawpunks.com on behalf of brad and myself tim ellis and our engineers thank you for coming on inside the creaking door paranormal radio powered by slackjawpunks.com the creaking door